Thank you for that song. That song reminds me of uh, a sermon I was listening to this week by Matt Chandler. I don't even know who Matt Chandler even is, but he's a pretty good speaker, and he's been speaking on Revelation. And he was talking about his kids experiencing fireworks for the very first time. And uh, they went to see the fireworks, and of course it was just a glorious display up in the sky. But then he said the best part of the fireworks was looking back at the faces of his kids as they saw fireworks for the first time. And you can imagine their faces were like, you know, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And that song kind of reminds me of that illustration. You know, when we see Jesus face to face, I think there's going to be a big jaw drop at that moment. And we are just going to continue to fall in love more and more with him. In the meantime, we have God's word that gives us a picture of Jesus. And we've been going through the book Hebrews, learning more about Jesus and how he is better, right? It's all about Jesus is better. You may have a handout today. It's got nothing to guide you really on there. It's harder for you, right? When you there's nothing to fill in the blanks, you have to kind of maybe listen a little bit more. But you can see right on there, the theme for the whole book is Jesus is greater. And you could use other superlatives. Jesus is better. He's greater. He's superior. He's all sufficient. And he's greater than anything in this universe. And the, the opportunity to have a relationship with him to me is just awe-inspiring to me to think about that, that I can have a personal relationship with him because I am a sinner. I am one who has sinned against God. I have no right. I have no anything in me that deserves to have salvation, but it's only of God's free grace that I'm able to have a relationship with him. And so this book, it's talked about Jesus being better than all the prophets, about how Jesus is better than Moses, how Jesus is better than Joshua, how Jesus is better than even the mighty angels. And so the author of the book of Hebrews tells these people, he says, don't think about going back to your old way of life. Don't even think about it. In fact, at one point in the book of Hebrews, we'll find out that they cannot go back to that and expect to be saved. He tells them, do not drift away from the faith like a ship at sea without an anchor. And my friends, I'm afraid that many people are like that. People who are Christians, people who maybe think that they're Christians, but their anchor is not in Jesus Christ and they are drifting away. We can see it in our culture. Our nation has drifted away. Would you agree with that? Our nation has drifted away from what it was even 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us to anchor yourself in Christ. Another way of putting that is that we are to be in Christ's rest. We are to rest from our working and fully, uh, and fully trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so we're going to continue the whole book's about Jesus being better, so don't expect me to come in and say probably anything different. Jesus is better, but today we're going to be talking about Jesus as our high priest, and Jesus 
as the one who gives us access to the throne of grace. So you can see on your handout that the scripture today is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, just three verses. Let's stand, if you would please, for the reading of God's word. Ask that he would bless our time together, that we would understand what he's trying to communicate to us today. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in the time of need. Let's pray. Father, these are magnificent words and so much in these words for us today. We pray that you would help us to think through these intelligently and with clarity so that we understand what this author is saying, but also that we would understand what our responsibility is and what our response should be. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us uh, a great anointing here today to understand this message. And may it make a difference in our lives, all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, did you know that Jesus was a high priest? He is a high priest, and he is also a king, and he's also a prophet. There were these three different offices in the Old Testament, that of a priest, that of a prophet, and that as a king, but they were always, almost always, separate. But in the one person, Jesus Christ, all of these have combined. Jesus is both king, prophet, and priest. And here today, we're gonna be talking about him as a priest. In fact, we're gonna be talking about him as a sympathetic high priest. Now for many of you, maybe saying that Jesus is a priest is maybe something new or different. Maybe when you think of priest, you think of someone in the Roman Catholic tradition who is a priest. And there are some similarities, but there's a lot of differences as well. Jesus is a priest very much in the sense of the way there were Old Testament priests during the time of Moses and Aaron and the building and the moving of the tabernacle and the temple. A priest is one who will intercede for people, right? He's some, it's kind of a go-between between man and God. The priest sits there in the middle and he is the one who can mediate between those two people. He's one who intercedes for us, and Jesus is one who intercedes for us. Now, in the Old Testament, during the times of the tabernacle and the temple, there were many priests, right? Many priests who served. They were of the tribe of Levi, and their main responsibility, they didn't even have their own parcel of land like all the other tribes, but their parcel of land was actually the tabernacle, the temple. Their main purpose was to take care of that and all of the sacrifices that went on and act as intercessors between man and God. That is what they did. And then there was a high priest. There was a high priest who had special duties, and those special duties included on the day of atonement, only one day out of the year, was to enter in through the tabernacle, go into the 
holy place and then go into the holy of holies, a place where only the high priest could go and only once a year to offer a sacrifice for the people of Israel. And so there's a priest, there is the high priest, but Jesus, of course, is better. He is the high priest. He is a great high priest. And so we know that he is going to perform his duty better than what they could perform their duties. First of all, he is the son of God, right? Our scripture says that today, that he is the son of God. And that in that sense, he is a greater high priest. He has the ability to see God's side of the issue and he has the ability to see man's side of the issue, right? Because Jesus, we know, is both God and both man. And so Jesus is able to intercede for us better. It says in our scripture today, it says that he is one who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What, what, can, what does it mean that, it, that he passed through the heavens? Have you ever thought about that? You know, the simplest explanation is that when Jesus left his disciples and went into heaven, he passed into heaven. But I think due to the fact that he is our great high priest, that there's more significance to it than just saying that he passed into heaven. Because this, this high priest during the time of the tabernacle, he had this journey that he had to take. And I believe Jesus took that same journey only in a heavenly way, whereas the high priest took it in an earthly way. And so let me take you through this journey that the high priest had to go through. First of all, he had to enter into the tabernacle. And there was only one gate. There's only one way into that tabernacle. Then he would come upon the bronze altar. The bronze altar was a place where the sacrifice, sacrifices were given daily by the priests. People would bring their animals in. They would be slaughtered. They would be offered onto the bronze altar. Going on through the tabernacle, the priests would go, come to the bronze laver. And that was a place where they would wash their hands after they had performed these sacrifices. Then the, the high priest was able to enter into the Holy of Holies. You see this progression we're making through the gate, through the bronze altar, through the brazen laver. And then he's actually able to enter into the tent structure of the tabernacle, into the holy place. And in the holy place, there were three objects, if I can remember them. On the, le on the left was the golden lamp filled with olive oil and kept burning. On the right was the, uh, the bread and the show, the show bread, 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And then in the front, just before a large curtain, there was the altar of incense where incense was given. And then once he could pass through that, only the high priest could do this once a year, taking the blood of a lamb, he could enter into what we would call the Holy of Holies, where there was only one piece of furniture, right? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had the Ten Commandments in it. It had the manna in it. It had the uh, Aaron's rod that had budded. And so he would offer the sacrifices. There is, there's even a tradition that says 
that they would tie a rope onto the priest's leg so that if he entered the Holy of Holies and some sin was found in his life and he died, they could pull him back out. That's how serious this situation was. And so they would go through this ritual every year, the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go in through this pathway, this journey to the presence of God because the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God was, right? If you remember that story in the wilderness as they would set up the tent or they'd move the tent, once they would send up the tent, the tabernacle, the presence of God, the cloud would descend from the sky and enter right over the Holy of Holies and actually rest on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so what this priest was doing is going, showing the way that we must go and Jesus must go in order for us to once again experience a relationship with him. Now, where did Moses get the idea from about the tabernacle to begin with? It came from God, right? He said, I will show you the pattern that exists in heaven and you are to follow that pattern. And so I believe Jesus, when he paid the price and penalty for our sins, he had to take that blood into the very presence of God. And so when he enters into the heaven, he is passing that veil into the Holy of Holies. That's what our great high priest has done. I hope that made a little bit of sense. <laughs> the, the tabernacle is a pattern of what is in heaven. And Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice and took his blood into the presence of God on our behalf and interceded for us. And so Jesus is our great high priest, better than a mere human high priest. And we'll get into that in later sessions on the book of Hebrews. But human priests had some disqualifying characteristics, right? They, they themselves had sinned, and so there had to be an, a sacrifice offered for their own sin before they could accomplish this. Priests had a tendency to die off Whereas Jesus is an eternal high priest who's always there to intercede for us. And so I hope you can see this main point that Jesus is our great high priest. He has interceded for us and he always lives to intercede for us. That's why we can say as Christians that we have eternal security. Jesus, the high priest, is, isn't going anywhere. He is interceding for us continually before the Father. And so this writer of the book of Hebrews, he tells us a couple things that we are able to do because Jesus is our high priest. He says we are to hold fast to our confession. These people are, in the book of Hebrews, they have a tendency, they want to go back. They want to go back to the Old Testament law. They want their consciences to feel clean because they're offering, they're doing something. They're offering their own sacrifices. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, you don't have to do that. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. Just hold on to your confession. What is our confession? We talked about it in Sunday school. Jesus is Savior and Lord, right? He is Savior. He is the one who went to the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, rose on the third day. He is our Savior if we place our trust in him. Jesus is not only our Savior, he is our Lord. He is the one to whom we answer. He, he says this, we obey, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. 
He gives us commandments, we obey him. And so we hold fast to our confession. You might say, well, what, what does it mean to hold fast to our confession? Well, have you, ever, have you ever gone overseas and taken a passport along with you? How many have been overseas and taken a passport? Yeah. Do you hold fast to that passport? You better believe you hold fast to that passport. That is your way back home, if nothing else. If you don't have that passport, you don't have a way back home very easily, right? You have to go through a lot of trouble to get a new passport, to get, I don't know what you'd have to go through, but that's one thing I never wanted to worry about. So I took my passport, put it around my neck, and then I can pull it out, it's never off my body, but you hold fast to that because that is your ticket back home. Have you ever been through a busy airport or a busy bus terminal and you've got a young child in tow? Do you hold fast to that young child? You hold fast to that young child. You don't want there to be any chance for them to escape your grip. And so they're, they're telling us this very same thing that he's telling us, that we are to hold fast to our confession. And you might say, well, Jesus holds fast to me. That is true. That is true. Both these things are true. Jesus keeps us, but we are still commanded to hold fast. That's how he keeps us. We see the commandment to hold fast and we hold fast to Jesus. So we will not let anything take the place of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Nothing can take the place of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No teaching, any addition to the gospel, any subtraction from the gospel, we will not hold on to that. We will hold fast to the true gospel. And then also because we have Jesus as our great high priest, it says that we are to draw near to the throne of grace. I love this verse, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. And we've many times before described what grace is. It's God's unmerited favor toward us. In other, in other words, we as sinners only deserve God's wrath and judgment, but because of his grace, he gives us his favor. He shines his light upon us. He gives us salvation. And so grace comes as a free gift. It's God's riches at Christ's expense is another way of putting it. If you like that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, it just means we don't deserve something and God is willing to give it to us anyway. In fact, we might not even want, want what he wants to give, but he persuades us that it is good for us. And so we are to draw near to this throne of grace. We are to not just be satisfied with the grace that we've already experienced. I, get, I think this is a way to put it. God wants to shower more and more and more grace upon us. Isn't that wonderful news? today for us, <laughs> that he wants, to, he wants to just give us more and more grace. And therefore it says that we can with confidence come near to the throne of grace. I don't think I've ever really been where there is a, an actual throne, where an actual monarch or someone sits on that throne or not. 
But I would imagine that this throne of grace is a pretty impressive thing to experience, right? <laughs> if we were to see Christ throne in the heavenly places, it would be a pretty awesome, maybe a place that you might be a little bit timid about going forward to because you respect it so much. But how can we with confidence come to the throne of grace? Do I bring my own, do I bring a sacrifice? Do I bring my good works? No, no. You guys all know that's, that we don't bring that, right? Because they're, they're fraught with uh, tents of evil and disobedience and wrong motives. No, we come with confidence because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the perfect price, right? He paid the price. He was tempted just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so his sacrifice is perfectly acceptable. And so if we have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can come with confidence to the throne of grace. So many times we don't come with confidence, but we maybe even feel like we want to go the other direction. Have you ever done something wrong? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever done something or said something that you regretted and you thought, there's no way I can go to God with this right now? You know, things are going to have to slow down just a little bit. I, remember, I had a great dad. Unfortunately, he died at an early age. He died when he was 56, I believe. But I had a great dad, kind of quiet. Uh, he could get on to you <laughs> if you aggravated him enough. That's what the word he uses, aggravating. You are aggravating me. But I remember one time, it was, I was probably 16, maybe 17 years old, just got my license. We lived out in the country and I wanted to make a trip in the family car into, into Robinson, you know, to go somewhere to buy something. Well, I got in the car and it was just almost on empty. And I thought, no problem. We live on a farm, kind of a semi-farm-like place. We had a 300-gallon gas tank over here standing on pedestal. I'll just go get some gas out of the gas tank and no problem. You know, I'll make it into town fine. So I go over there and I pound on the tank. Doesn't sound like there's a whole lot in there. So all it has is a, like a mechanical valve on there to open and you got a hose and then your spigot down at the end. And just a little bit dribbled out, not nearly enough to get me into town. And I got to thinking, I bet I could tip that tank with it being empty and get some more gas out of there. You know where I'm going, right? <laughs> you know that valve that's about that far off the bottom? There's a reason it's that far off at the bottom because that's where all the sediment settles. And when I tipped that tank forward, I got enough gas to go into Robinson. I sure did. The trouble is the fuel filter plugged off halfway to Robinson. <laughs> so I'm thinking, man, I don't want to call my dad, but I got to call my dad. I really, I wanted to run the other direction. I wanted to leave the car leave home and never come back again. No, it wasn't that bad, but I didn't want to call him. I didn't want to disappoint him. I knew the minute I'd done it that it was the wrong thing to do. And uh, it's one of those situations where 
uh, I just didn't want to confront him. I, I just as soon forget about it and go the other direction. But of course I couldn't. And uh, my dad was really gracious, he was. He said, he didn't say a whole lot. He just, uh, he said, well, we'll have to take tank off. We'll have to flush it out. We'll have to get a new fuel filter and put some good gas in it and we'll be good to go. Uh, but the people in the book of Hebrews don't see God that way. They're thinking, we've committed, we've committed sins after Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. Where are we to go now to deal with this sin? They had a much better respect for sin and that it must be dealt with than probably we do. They were thinking, I'm going to have to go back to the old way of sacrifice. Or I'm, I can't confront God face to face. I can't with confidence go toward him. My works are already shown that I'm unable to do that. And so the moral of this story is that as Christians who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, we don't run away from God when we sin or disappoint him. We run to God, right? That's what it means to come to the throne of grace with confidence. When we do bad things, there doesn't have to be this, this time in our life where we uh, suffer for a little bit before we go to the Father, but we can go directly and run to God. Then you may need to do that today. You may have been putting off some poor decisions that you've made and dealing with them, and you may need to run to God today. Let me tell you that you, if you do, he's going to be running right at you. Just like the prodigal son. You remember that story? The prodigal son takes all of his inheritance and goes and spends it, you know, in foolish ways. And then finally, when he's eating with the pigs, he comes to his senses. And he said, my dad's servants have it better than I. I need to go back to my father. And as soon as he heads back to the father, the father sees him coming and he's running toward him. That's a picture of God's grace. And so never feel like you have to run away from God. We always can run toward him, not because of anything of our own, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We are draw near to the throne of grace for mercy as well. Mercy is like grace. It's kind of flip-flop. It's kind of the they're, they're kind of a coin with mercy on one side and grace on the other side. Mercy is that quality of God whereby he withholds from sinners their just punishment. In order to maintain his justice, he does so based upon the sacrifice of Christ. We are all in here, and I would say all people everywhere have experienced God's mercy because all of us desire, uh, all of us, uh, deserve a punishment in hell, but we haven't experienced that yet, right? So God has been merciful to us. It's God withholding what we do deserve. An example of that from scripture might be Adam and Eve. You remember Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden, God said, uh, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Well, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually, that was true. They didn't die physically because God was being merciful. So we are to draw near to the 
throne of grace for mercy. And then we are to draw near to the throne of grace for help. Did you know that grace is also power that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> you know, we've talked about this in Bible studies, but so many times a book of the Bible, either by Paul, by Paul or some author, Peter, I believe, begins the book out by saying grace to you. Those aren't just throwaway words. Understand that those mean something, that Paul, Peter, they're saying, my prayer for you is that you would experience more of God's power through his grace in your life. That's exactly what he's trying to say. He tells Timothy, in fact, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's something about understanding what grace is and what our attitude should be toward God that gives us power. And the attitude we need to have is one of humility, right? When we are prideful, prideful just means I can do it in my own strength. I don't need to run to God. I can do it in my own strength. Well, we know that that is wrong. We cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. And so we need to understand that we are to be humble, be, have an attitude of humility. More grace or power or help is available to those who are weak in their own strength and who, who rely on strength from God. And scripturally, James 4 puts it this way, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, devil and he will flee from you. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He will empower those who are humble. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians when he had a thorn in the flesh, remember, and he wanted to get rid of that thorn in the flesh. And God come back to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is totally opposite to the way the world thinks, right? <laughs> you know, the world thinks we gotta be strong. We gotta put on a good face. Paul says, no, we need to boast of our weaknesses. We need to boast that I cannot do that in my own strength. And if you see me do something that looks like I'm strong, it comes from God. Give him the honor and glory for it. So the throne of grace is a throne that really is used to display the majesty and glory of God and to give us help whenever we have a need for it. Jesus is so much greater than the previous priest. The grace that comes through Jesus, our great high priest, is sufficient for all of our needs. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. And when you sin or when you fail and feel like you've disappointed God or feel like going up, going back or giving up, don't run from God, but run to God and his amazing grace, right? Amen. Run to his amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you for your grace in our lives. And every person who is here today has experienced God's grace in some way, but it, 
is those who have trusted in Christ that receive the full benefits of that grace. It gives us power to live the Christian life. It allows us to become Christians in the first place. And we need more of it. And we need that when we fail to recognize not to run away from God, not to ignore God, but to run to Him, repent of that, confess that sin, and look back toward God and understand that He loves us no matter what. And that there is no sin that is too great that cannot be forgiven if we confess it to God and repent of it. And so we pray that you would do a great work here today as we close in word of prayer. And if there are those who have let their sin build up in their life because they're afraid to confront God, let them bring that to God, bring to the throne of grace, lay it at the feet of Jesus and know that his sacrifice is sufficient to cover that sin. Guide and direct us in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.